Okay, tonight's part two. All right, so the thought in my head, or we're going to talk about unanswered thoughts that you have. Unanswered thoughts. Or it's, help me, help me, my narrative, my, uh, who's controlling the narrative? <laughs> you can tell who's controlling the narrative. I had to get some help. Okay. <laughs> All right, so the thought in my head, who's controlling the narrative of your life? Who's controlling the narrative of what you think and of what you believe? So we're going to look in John 10, where God speaks to us. If there's a verse or chapter in the Bible that more clearly tells you that God speaks to us is this one, and I don't know why no one ever really speaks on this very often, but in John 10, it's talking about the voices that you hear. And so this chapter is on voices, and your success will depend on which voice you follow. So it talks about that the Lord is your shepherd and that he speaks to his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Now, that's the perfect Christian life. That's what all Christians do, right? <laughs> we hear God speak to us, we know exactly what he's saying, and we follow him and do exactly what he tells us. Amen. 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 We can stop right here. We are done tonight. <laughs> so anyway, but you know, there's something about us sometimes we think kind of like a goat. We think so independent. And humans are good at following something. So this follow-up verse tells you something, but it assures you, my sheep hear my voice and you will follow God's voice. So I'm going to stop right here with my sheep hear my voice. If we stopped here, it would be a wonderful, wonderful passage. I'd be so happy because it would be a one voice world. Like God speaks, we hear, we do it. That would be like playing football and the opponents don't show up on the field. I mean, it's just like you just follow what God tells you to do and it's wonderful. But then the next sentence comes along and it tells us that there's more than one voice. This could make you clinical. This is what people say. If you tell someone, I'm hearing a voice, another voice, people are like, uh-oh, uh-oh. But I want you to see right here that it says that there's a stranger's voice. Now, the object of what it says, it says, my sheep will follow my voice, and they will not follow a stranger's voice. So that's a great promise, that you will not follow a stranger's voice. So I'm going to have you write a note in your Bible right here. Do not let the stranger's voice get familiar to you. Do not let the voice of the stranger get familiar to you. So I'm telling you, there is more than one voice. And somehow I've known people that they think they're hearing God. Every voice they hear in their head is God to them. And they're crazy because not every voice you hear is God. There are more than one voice, voices speaking to you. Most of the time, at all times. So my sheep hear my voice. You're made to distinguish. Now let me tell you the secret that it tells you here. If you don't let that stranger's voice get familiar to you, if you really listen, God's voice has a familiar sound to you. It sounds like a father. It may sound firm. It may sound urgent. But it's not compulsory. There's difference of how he speaks to us. And this is what I say to myself when I'm hearing and I'm hearing voices and I'm trying to distinguish, okay, what's my shepherd's voice? What's the Lord telling me in this? Let's just make it simple. What's God telling me to do? I tell myself the way I can know the difference is the stranger's voice sounds like a foreign language to me. It's strange. Have you ever been in another country and 
two people are trying to communicate and you're speaking a different language. And then the most comical thing that happens is someone starts shouting as if shouting the foreign language makes them understand it. It doesn't. You just got two people screaming at each other in their language. But it's not familiar. And the devil's voice, the enemy's voice, the one that's the one trying to destroy your soul is a foreign voice to you. It's a strange voice. And because it's a stranger's voice, because it's strange to you, it makes you not follow that voice. So that's what I say to myself. I'm not going to follow the voice that's strange. I'm going to follow my shepherd's voice. So you have many, many thoughts in a day's time. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how many thoughts do you have run through your head in a day? You know, you get kids, a lot of different thoughts in their heads. They say, girls think thought, 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 boy. And it's about every fourth thought. Thought, 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 boy. You know, you guys about, they say they have thought, girl, thought, girl, thought, girl. (laughs) And they hear those thoughts in their heads. But I was asking you, okay, so you're a mature adult. How many thoughts run through your head in a single day? Well, this is what research says. Would you like to make a guess at how many run through your head in 24 hours? Just random. Okay. It's a great number. You'll find it when you open this document, you'll just find it all over the Internet. You know, when you ask that question, Google gives you 6,000. You have 6,000 voices a day. That's a good number. That's the number of man. So 6,000 thoughts per day. And so psychologists discover that the average person will typically have 6,000 thoughts in a single day. Now, what's odd is in the same set of articles that you open, experts estimate that the mind thinks between 60,000 and 80,000 thoughts a day. Now, I'm going, okay, there's difference, and you're seeing different research, and they're both, one saying 6,000 and one saying between 60 and 80,000, which is the average of 2,500 to 3,300 thoughts per hour. Yeah, that's an incredible amount. So I just kept looking into it, and so according to the research of a Dr. Fred Luskin of Stanford, an average person has, listen to this, 60,000 thoughts per day, but 90% of them are repetitive. Oh, repetitive. So 60,000 thoughts, 90% repetitive. So this blends the huge discrepancy of the two together because of repetitive thoughts. I mean, that puts it much closer. So you can have your own theory of how many thoughts you think fire through your head. But it's a lot of thoughts for you to manage. It's a lot of thoughts. So tonight, we're going to study the trajectory of a thought. And when I was working at TYC and I was volunteering with the guys, they let me in on all the different ways that they were re-socializing these guys. And what they would do is they would study it in an offense cycle. And you would have a circle up on the board, and at any point, the guy could have gotten out of the offense cycle. He could have said, at this point, I want to not do what I was, the crime I did. Or you could go a little further down, and he could have decided at this point. So they showed the guy that he had a lot of different opportunities to opt out of doing the crime. Most of the time, it's not impulsive, just one, but you had different opportunities. So it showed the guy that he could have made a different choice and not been locked up for so many years. And I thought, this is genius. This is brilliant. 
I need to take this home and quit using it on prisoners and use it on the college kids. I mean, it's really true. We have this cycle and we could have all gotten off of it. But here we are all caught in our little worlds because we don't handle the thought and we're not paying attention to it. So I was going to give you kind of a personal story of what happens with thoughts that shoot through your head. And let's call it getting familiar with a thought is the problem. You have a thought, ping. Now, if you are saying there's 6,000 thoughts a day, or if you're thinking there's 6,000 thoughts in two hours, you've got a lot of thoughts going through your head. What I would say is they go through very quickly. They fire very quickly. Have you ever needed to hold on to a thought? You just think, man, that's the solution to everything. And then two hours later, you can't remember what it was, but you remember it was a great thought. You know, or I think, my goodness, this will make the best Bible study. And then I'm like, I'll never forget this. This has changed my life. And then I'm like, I can't remember what it was. So you have thoughts that fire through your head. And they fire at all times, good and bad. But occasionally as they're firing through your head, your mind will latch on to one of them. So the first thing I want you to realize is when this happens, it's a new thought to you. It's not familiar. At first, the thought is new. I was thinking about my mom and when she went through that eight years and we had never discussed the part about the fact of for a little bit the thought seemed new to her. She just thought this thing had overcome her, had come down on her and she told me that she, I said, what'd you do with me? I mean, I'm a baby. I'm six months old. I was in a baby stroller. You put me in that Buddhist woman's home And I said, so it was my introduction into international ministry because you just shoved me right on in there when you were talking to the lady. And she told me what she did with my baby carriage is she went around and around Coggin Park as fast as she could, just flying, trying to get rid of that thought that had hit her. And I thought, I wonder how fast I was going in that carriage as she went around and around. And mother told herself, I can be rid of this thought by the time Jack gets home. She thought she could be done with that thought. It was a crazy thought. It had just gone through her head. And she was like, bam, I can be rid of that thought by the time my husband gets home. Well, eight years later, it didn't happen. Remember the lady had told her, keep your mind open. (laughs) And mother said, I did. I did just what she said. I opened my mind. And you know, of course, mother's joke is, I opened my mind so wide that my brain fell out. I didn't find it for eight years. And so that's an open mind. (laughs) So it starts out as new to you. The thought is a new thought. So so if you've heard a lot of teaching on your thought life and you've really put it into practice, you probably battle your thoughts. And if you do this, you'll know what I'm talking about, that you have a thought and you're like, oh, it's not right. Mm -mm, that, That is not right. And so you will actually battle it. You'll put it down very quickly and you'll get it under your feet. And you can do that almost without thinking. I mean, you just, you've gotten so used to renewing your mind to what God's Word says and what the Bible says. that you ren- It says the Bible says you renew your mind. So the first thing that you've got to find out when you're a new Christian is you're in the process of renewing your mind. Your mind doesn't think like God wants it to think. So you're doing a process of taking your thoughts captive is what Paul says, that you're actually renewing your mind to what God's word says. And so what had happened to my mom is she didn't know that. No one taught back then about spiritual warfare. And they never taught her that you've got to renew your mind to to what the, the word of God says. You just had thoughts. 
That's part of being a person. You have thoughts. You can't make a thought just go out of your mind. How do you reach in and grab your thought? I mean, this is crazy. Like, oh yeah, I had a bad thought. I'm going to pull it out. You can't. So there was no teaching in the church about that. And so literally from this first position of a person who's very good at it and knows to have a disciplined sound mind, they have got to make their thoughts line up with God's word. Then they literally, at this point, they're good at battling, but everyone else, no, they're not. And if you find yourself in the position that you're not good at battling thoughts, then you're doing one of these other things. One thing you may be doing is not paying attention. It's so familiar to you. You've been having thoughts all your life, so you don't pay any attention, and you completely absorb the thoughts that you have. And so you just think, it's just my thoughts. I don't know what to do with them. And it's kind of a form of a deep ignorance. And that's where we found ourselves as believers years ago. We just didn't know that there was really a battle going on between our ears. It was just a deep ignorance of God's Word. I don't know why the Bible was plain. We could read it, but we didn't figure it out. So if, you, if you're just not paying attention, or if you're one of these types who you know it's wrong, you know that you should be paying attention to your thoughts, you know that it tells you to renew your, your mind, but you're just kind of spiritually lazy. You just don't do it. And so you just kind of think, I won't let a real bad one come in. I'll hold murder out. I'll, I'll just hold out the really bad ones, you know. So anyway, you're, you're not doing anything. You just let them come and go, and it's contested ground. There's no contested ground in your mind. You, you still let them all come through, and you just hope you don't get a really bad one. Or some people take them in, and those thoughts become an entity to themselves. Have you ever known a person and they're defined by their thoughts? Like you're thinking, who thinks like that? Like you've got to be kidding. Who has those thoughts and thinks that's okay? And you know, the the poster child for that behavior. You're just like, oh my goodness, this is the craziest thoughts. And so some of it may be, it may be completely against yourself. Like my mom had this lady in her Bible study. And it's, it's not nice she's dead, but it's nice that I can tell a story once somebody's dead. So for years, I couldn't tell about this little woman that would come to my mother's Tuesday morning Bible studies, and she shuffled her little feet. And in she would come, and she would sit there. And every week, she wanted to talk to mom, because every week, she said, everyone rejected me. Everybody rejected me. And she sat there with her little head down. As soon as it was over with, she did her little feet and she darted out of there. She wouldn't know, but she looked like it. She acted like it. She was, you know, from a big church here, plenty of people. And that's when mom came up with the idea. Rejected people do the very thing that causes them to get rejected. Like your behavior starts acting like the thought in your head. I feel rejected, so I'm going to do things to make people reject me. I mean, who would have talked to her? I mean, I would have had to knock on her shell and say, uh, I'm in this world, hello. And she'd look at you. I mean, people that are rejected have that look to them. And that's the thing. You don't want to get where you're defined by a set of thoughts, where you're defined by something that literally has become your personality like that. Or if you're not one to take it in, then you're one who dishes it out. You've heard this story. I don't get ulcers. I give them. (laughs) You know that personality. (laughs) There's two times. One person just takes in the stress. 
another person gives you the stress. Okay, that's this person. Why are there people in the world that if you're successful, they just want to pull you down? Like they don't have any success in their own life, but they're determined to make sure that you fail. I was appalled at this. I was appalled that there were people out there that wanted the demise. But what happens is it's that ninth commandment. And it talks about where you bear false witness. It's like the forked tongue of a snake. For some reason, they're going to say something to wreck you. Proverbs 16:28 says this type of person that causes dissension. They said they separate intimate friends because they have this thing going on inside of them. So this is what happens with thoughts. There's some people completely not even aware of it, clear to people who just are lazy and don't want to do anything about it, even though they've heard, clear to those others that are meant to scatter sheep. It says some can gather and some scatter. Okay, so when you're dealing with these thoughts, the first thing the thought will do is put attention on something. It can be attention on sickness, anger, hurt, rebellion, self-will, and our little old lady's rejection. Fill in the blank. But the thought puts attention to it. Thank goodness you don't get them all. Because if you got them all, we'd call you legion. But you'll have one set of thoughts that come and they make sense to you. You didn't treat it like a foreigner. You didn't treat it like a stranger. And that set of thoughts come and guess, I like this word, this verb. You entertain that thought. You entertain it. Come on in. Sit with me a while. Be with me. I'm a little lonely tonight. I'd like this thought. Entertain it. And then from there, the thought goes from being the wild baby crib carriage ride around and around the park. And it turns into being one thought into repetitive thoughts. And this is where it moves into your life. And we may not even like the thought. We may not even like it. But did you know you entertain thoughts you don't like all the time? You would think if you didn't like it, you'd just say, I just want to be happy. That's not a happy thought. Bye. I just watch Hallmark movies. If it's not predictable in the end, I am a happy person. <laughs> My mom, I mean, she'll watch Bonanza, and it'll have a bad ending. She'll go, oh, I've got to watch another one. I can't end on this note. I mean, she is determined. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So... These thoughts are something you entertain. So that's the next step after this thing hits you. It's what you let go, grow, what you leave in your life. When it's left unanswered, that thought grows and it starts piling up. When it's left unanswered, then it gets louder and it gets more frequent. This sounds like breath pains more intensified and closer together. You know, that's what Jesus used as his analogy. That's what these thoughts do to you. They get louder. They take more authority. They speak like they know what they're talking about. And so all of a sudden it starts piling up. The first thing you got to know is this is not unique to just you. 
This is not what makes you crazy. This is spiritual warfare 101, and we have to teach it to the church. We have to teach it to new believers, and we've got to teach it to our children. You've got to take care of your thoughts. I mean, I'm not being funny on this, but I don't care if you did have a thought that you want to shoot everyone at your classroom. Take authority over the thought. It's that easy. It's thoughts. But what happens is people let a very weeded garden grow until literally you've got a possessed person on your hands. Like they have started letting those thoughts grow and and they play with them and they entertain with them. And at first it's fun and fantasy, but it turns into something that owns them. And you mix anger with it. You mix unforgiveness with it. You let them get hurt one time. Bam, it's something that happens. You know, personally, we think in the Wild West where we live that just let the boys go out and duke it out with their fists. That gets a lot of it out of young men. But no, we don't let them do that anymore. So now it's gotten very aggressive. It's more important than ever before that people be taught that they must let their thoughts line up with God's Word. And I tell you, if people would just let them line up with the Ten Commandments, we'd live in a different world even if that was their set. Those are things that we can agree on. So when it's unanswered, it works like an open door in your life. So not only does it pile up, not only is it louder, more frequent, it is like if we left this door open at night, it's an invitation to the enemy to come right on in. It's an invitation to evil. And so you don't want unanswered thoughts coming right on in. Now, we'll talk about what unanswered is. So it becomes what I call compulsory. Every one of us could define our life by a certain thought you had. Think of a certain point in your life, and I can tell myself, during those two years, I had this one thought, and it was my compulsion thought. And it went zoom, zoom, zoom. And it was compulsory, and it just went around and around and around. Did you know the enemy senses compulsory thoughts? He goes, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. It starts slightly, but he keeps pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. And so a lot of times when people come in to talk to me about what's bothering them, I'm like, let's identify the thought. When did it start coming in? And is it compulsory now? Because they'll tell me, it's God. I go, no, God's not telling you to do that. That's where people are deranged. They think God's telling them. The enemy is compulsory He pushes you and pushes you and pushes you. He wears you down and you snap. It's dangerous. You know how it is. You try to behave at a party. Oh, I won't let them know this about me. You know, I won't let them know this about me. You know what motion I'm making? Have you ever been in a pool and the game is hide the beach ball and you're sitting on it? And so you're all pushing the ball and you're trying to not let anybody know where the ball is. But boom, it'll pop up. Yeah, that's what happens to me. At just the wrong time, boom, it'll just pop up the thought, (laughs) my mouth, (laughs) what I say. I mean, it's going to pop out at some point. That's what happens when they're unanswered. It's, It's the compulsory. And so what you're seeing to yourself right now, is that thought mine or is it the enemy? Well, let's just say this. It doesn't matter. Get it under your feet. Is it flesh or is it the devil? It doesn't matter, it's not right, and you can't own what the devil tells you. We think it's true, and he starts adding details to it. That's like what I was saying is, you've got to think about this thing that you're letting become repetitive, because when you let it do that, 
you're starting to own it. And so he adds more support to it. And other people will come and confirm the thought to you. And you'll think, oh, that's mysterious how they said that. Oh, that just happened just like, and it's ironically evil. <laughs> and they add up. And it's what causes people to snap. Because they have never known they have power to push back. And that's what we are against is a powerless Christian. It tells you that you should avoid people that teach a form of godliness but deny the power. You have got to know that the gospel is power. You have authority. God made you to have authority. In his name, you've got authority over it. So when this starts happening and the devil's adding these details to it, if you're not quick to repent, it's a problem. You know, it's funny that people just don't quickly just say, I repent. Well, how about if you're not for sure it's wrong? It doesn't matter. Maybe you're wrong. Repent. Repent didn't cost you anything. You'd think you were having to give God $100 extra in tithe every week. Oh, two more turtle doves this week, honey. <laughs> so then you would justify, well, maybe it wasn't wrong what I did. Well, when it's become the freedom of what Christ has given us, why not just repent? Why do we hate the idea of repenting so much? Like, why not be quick to repent even if it's a maybe? Yes. Even if it's not exactly. Yes. Just, just say, I, I can't trust my motives. And maybe my motives, who knows what they are. Okay, I repent. That's what made me feel free. I knew I'm a rascal. That's why I love Corey Timboon. I quit trying to be spiritual and just think I'm going to one day get knighted for sainthood or something. I mean, it's not going to happen. And it kind of gives you a relief that God kind of likes honoring people like you. Look at his disciples. Peter was not noted for his saintliness. He didn't get the educated. He got real people. And that's what you've got to let go of is this mysterious church image that you're trying to live up to. And it's not that. You just got to love God. This is not image. I take real over image. Authentic, genuine, straight talking. Just lay it out. Be quick to repent on that. So what happens here is when we're not quick to repent, we become quick to do it. And it becomes harder on us than what it would have to be. Like we let it come on us so strongly that we make it harder on ourselves than it has to be. And then it really is you got to get a shovel and dig. And I'll tell you what takes place at this level. You go from the thought, it's new, to the compulsion to do it, to now at this point, you've just kind of given up and you own it. And it becomes your thought. And when you own it, you start claiming it. You know, I'm going to give you a, a for instance. A person may say 300 times in his lifetime, I have diabetes. I have this. I have this problem. I have this problem. I have this problem. You know... What happens is you start owning it and you can't be talked out of it because it's yours. It's your problem. You're not putting any resistance on it. You're not putting any pushback on it. You're flat just owning the thought as if it was yours. And it didn't start out yours. It started out by the devil. He was offering it to you, offering it to you. But now something has taken place in the spiritual realm and it may have started out the devil's thought, but now it's yours, and you own it. 
You know, I want you to notice something in the Bible if you don't think I'm telling you the truth. Notice when Jesus was going to raise somebody from the dead. Did he ever confess death over them? And what happened when he didn't? Yeah, I know they took him and John and they put a lot of pressure on him and said, well, if he's just sleeping then. And they'd go, no, no, no. And they'd start laughing at him. These people are in mourning. They're crying. They have lost their loved ones. But Jesus didn't own it. And I always say this, don't confess death over something you plan on raising. Don't own it. Don't own that mountain if you're planning on speaking to that mountain and moving it. The Bible always talks about your power to make a difference, to change something in your life. And the reason why we don't see much changes is because of what we're talking about tonight, that the thought starts and we start owning that situation. So basically we're creating our own personal hell. May hell come to earth. You know, instead of praying, Lord, may your will come to earth. Whatever your will is in heaven, may it come to earth. It's almost whatever hell is, we're bringing it to the earth. And we're creating our own personal traps. So at this point, the thought gets stuck and the person gets in that rut and it's a trap. And then they become the poster child for that particular thing. And what happens when you start getting into a trap, you get so stuck when you want to change it, you start thinking, I can't talk to this person about it. I can't have a crucial conversation. Like, it's a part of their identity now. Like, they're not going to let go of this. Like, I'm going to make it worse. If I even try to talk to this person, it's going to make it so much worse. I just close my eyes and it's going to blow up. I just feel it. And this gets in your personal relationships. This gets in there where it gets explosive, where there becomes subjects. At first, there's none of it between husband, wife, mother, child, ministry partners. There's none of this in there. In the, in the beginning, everything's discussed. It's dialogue. But eventually, a little wall grows, a little trap, a little thing we can't talk about. It'll just make it worse. That personally just, I, I can't take it. And it builds those walls that become almost impossible to get over. Let me give you a great verse. In Matthew 5, verse 24, 23 and 24, I love this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar. Now, I'm not being racial because I'm very good friends with this particular race. I'm about to leave to go see him again. So don't take this wrong. But God is a Jewish God. Don't think he's Gentile. Don't think God is a Gentile. God is Jewish. He sent Jesus in the form of a Jewish Messiah, and it's Jewish patriarchs. And part of the fun we have being in Israel is they are hilarious people. You've got to get the impact of this verse. For Jesus to set this up and say, if you're at the verge of going to the altar and giving God a great gift as a Jewish God. He's very happy that you're giving him something. He's very happy that you're reaching deep in your pocket and putting in the offering. God likes you to tithe. God likes you to give offerings. He's very excited about it. But look what it says. Then you remember your brother has something against you. This is hilarious. Um, leave your gift at the altar. <laughs> Don't take it back with you. Leave it there. But go and first be reconciled to your brother. And then come and give your gift. 
Now that shows you how important it is to get it right with each other. When God says, if you're in the midst of tithing, if you're in the midst of making an offering, stop, leave it there. Don't complete what you're giving to God and go back and make it right with the person. That's how important it is to get these things worked out between us. Because we've got to do life together. We've got to do ministry together. You can't let those things build. Am I the only one? Uh, did anyone else have conflict this week? Any explosions? Or are we putting on our spiritual self and you get in church and act like everything's wrong? It gets worse before church, usually. <laughs> it's like there's this angst that happens. So I'm asking, did y'all have conflict? Because it's thoughts. And it starts doing this that you think you can't work this stuff out. And it always happens with the time pressure. The devil is a controller and he's a manipulator. And he has a relentless pursuit to make your mind make you crazy. He wants to make you crazy. Remember our theme verse last week? For God has given you power, love, and a sound mind. Full of peace, full of strength, full of authority, full of love. Like your mind is made to be completely full of strength during hard times. But the devil has a relentless pursuit to make you snap, to lose it, to literally carry off your mind. And what happens during these points, you become almost impossible to be able to hear or listen. You find yourself... Uh, exploding, not listening. And basically, I call it, they're not even capable of listening. It's like something goes up in front of the ears and they can't hear what you're saying because they're waiting to say what they're going to say back to you. And nobody is taking it in. And maybe it's they don't want to hear what you have to say or their mind's already made up. Or listen to this one. Too much is going on in their head and they can't listen. Like, they can't. Their mind's doing this. They can't hear what you're saying. It's just like this. We have worked with people in the last three weeks, four weeks. Literally, these are strong, rock, bedrock people, spiritual. But something attacked their mind, a controller, a Jezebel type, and their mind is doing this. And they can't get their mind to stop. It's condemning them. It's accusing them. It's defending them. It's just their mind just goes around like this. Now, watch this. If you're peaceful... You have the capacity to hear more. If you can get peaceful, you have the capacity. You've got to get the voice to quit screaming. It's screaming. It is now screaming like a banshee. You have given it plenty of time and plenty of space, and you've just let it. And you can't think about anything else because you are hurt. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm hurt. <laughs> And everything gives them evidence, and it encircles that one area, and it's almost impossible to get it out at this point. That's why it's saying, leave your offering, hurry, and go get to them before it gets to this point. Because the thought in your head actually has a presence to it. Now, we've made a joke about this because we've all had this happen to us, but you work around somebody that's kind of a controller, and you listen to them all the time, and the thoughts are crazy, and the Bible says, take care of what you listen to, and you listen to them, and you get a fuzz on your brain. Have you ever had anyone and they're a controller and you're just like, my gosh, my head feels, doesn't feel right after having been with them. Mm -hmm. Some of you are thinking about your dearly beloved relatives, you know. 
But it gets a fuzz, or it puts a weight on you. Or it just makes your mind jam where you can't think clearly. Or it's confusion. You know, we had a lady, and she called me yesterday, and she said, a dark cloud just descended upon me. And she told me what her thought was. And she said, everything was fine. And she said, but this voice came to me and said, call Angie, call Angie. And she said, I knew that was the right thing to do. You know how long it took me to get that voice off of her, that thought? That thought? (laughs) Five minutes? Not long. I just started using my authority. The Lord told me what to say. We're both praying, and it just came off of her. And literally, she goes, I've never had that happen before. I've never had anyone do that. This lady's been in the ministry for years. Yeah, she told me 30-something years. Y'all, if I didn't do this, I'd be like a sponge. I'd look like a, a, a pan cushion. I mean, I'd be having things stick out all over me because I literally have to do this all the time. In five minutes, the thought was off of her. And she was like, it literally left me. It's gone. It's gone. I can't believe it's gone. And she was sinking into an abyss of grief and all kinds of things of hate in her future. I mean, it was doing terrible things to her. I remember a college guy came to my mom when she was teaching college with my dad. And he came in. He goes, Peggy Joyce, I'm feeling depressed. And he wanted a little tender, loving care for my mother. Peggy Joyce, I'm just I'm fighting depression. And you know how when you're fighting depression, you can hardly just make yourself move. I was appalled. My mother grabbed that red-headed boy's hands and she got him in the kitchen and she started dancing with him and she was making him sing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the joy, and she was singing this old tune that we used to all know. She goes, now kick your feet, come on, come on. And he, bless his heart. And he's like just sitting there holding on to mother as she's bouncing around saying, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And she goes, no, we're getting the spirit of depression off of you. And so anyway, he was appalled. And, Mother didn't let go of his hands until he danced. And then when he danced, he got tickled, and then the spirit was gone. And he couldn't believe it. Mother says, now that's what you do. One time, my dad, the preacher, came home. He was depressed. Just let me slip past the guard at the door. <laughs> go get to my bed. You know, it's been a really bad day. My dad was a very strong man, but when it was a bad day, pull the cover over your head. That's what we called it. You know, I just don't want to see anyone. My mom, she comes in there. Jack, what's wrong? I just, I don't know, Peggy Joyce. I'm just something, I'm depressed. Mother doesn't like that word. I don't know why. She spent eight years with it. (laughs) She's very familiar with that. She pulls the covers off my dad. That's one thing you shouldn't do. Like, when someone's depressed, it's really kind of not sacred to yank their covers off. She goes to the door. She slings open our sliding glass door, and she says, You spirit of depression, get out of my house. In Jesus' name, you spirit of depression. My dad, he gets up, and he's running for the door. He said it didn't have anything to do with what was, she was doing, but the neighbors were down there fishing. And he's looking, and the neighbors, they just pack all their fishing gear up, and they leave. And he's like, oh, no. And so he said, I let the depression go because I just couldn't take her anymore. I mean, she's at the door, and he said, she's keeping They were going, boy, look at those two people up there fighting. Look, she's opening the door and throwing the old man out, you know. And so anyway, I would watch mom break the spirit of depression off. 
And is it as simple as the joy of the Lord is my strength and a little dance tune to it? Is it as simple as someone just saying, we're not staying here, this thought is leaving? You know, Jesse, you stay. And she throws the, the thought out. Because, I mean, sometimes they're connected to the thought. But you know when I really saw it work with my mom? When I had people call, I'm going to commit suicide. I'm going to do it this time. You know, they're talking about like that. I see them come into the house, barely moving. You're thinking, they don't need drugs. They're gone. And I'd watch my mom in one hour's time have that spirit off that person, and they'd leave a completely different person. I watched her do it on the phone. In fact, I used to record her doing it because I thought, I don't know anyone else doing this. Who does this? People call our ministry? Who can get it off of them? Someone that's been there. Like, I was like, why are we not training people to do this? This is scary to me. All of us young folks are not doing this. And it's not some psychological Bible that we're doing with them. We're literally just taking the Spirit of God and saying this thought is depression. We're not letting it stay. And so when I laugh about my mom doing the joy of the Lord or something like that, it's a whole different ball game when I've watched her get someone come out of a complete lockdown, suicide, something that is life-threatening. I mean, you remember the man that comes to our house with a gun on his wife? I mean, there are crazy things that have locked down, and this is what we're doing. That's why it's so important. So when you go through something, you realize you're going through it to be able to help someone else. So if you don't answer it, and you don't do this, and you let it go, you start coping. And the world applauds your coping skills. In fact, we share coping skills. What do you do? Well, I, I do this. I pull the cover over my head and tell my you know, family to stay. I'm locking the door. Bring me comfort food, <laughs> distractions. You discuss it with someone else. You vent. You do all these different things, and they're all coping. You can even put on praise and worship music. It's coping, coping, coping. And you don't answer it, so you start coping. And then what happens when you're alone in that room? It gets worse. It gets a more of a hold on you. It's like, I feel like sometimes like the enemy gets me and he takes a thought and he beats me with it like a stick. He just starts beating me with that thought. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is pounding me. This thought is pounding me. And uh, you're in pain. You're like, whose fault is this? You think, am I blaming? Some people blame, you blame yourself. You blame me. I blame you. But I'm like, I'm not mad at anyone. I'm like, I blame the stick that I'm being beat with. Have you ever seen a dog where you're trying to help them and they're out and they've been caught in something and they won't bite you because you're the, the owner, the master. But if you've got a tool, a surgical tool trying to help them and they don't have the numbing of the pain reliever, they'll bite that tool in half. You know, I've had some animals just snap things in my hands. Like, they'll bite their leash. They'll start biting anything. And that's how I feel when I'm being beaten with the thought. I want to bite. I want to bite. <laughs> so what happens here is you start getting mixes. And you mix God's voice with the stranger's voice. So you're hearing it far, too, because God's trying to reach out to you, too. It's basically like getting two radio stations going at once. One goes over the top of each other. And it starts making all that crazy static. And then at this point, 
people start acting on the voice and they start doing whatever it's telling them or they go tell someone else about it because some people don't. Some people just act on the voice, what it's telling them to do, and they never tell another person. But not most of the time. Most of the time, it bursts out of you because the enemy likes to brag or boast. Like it wants expression. But no, there are some people and they're sneaky and they'll go do it and you'll never see it coming or they're aggressive. But most of the time it's telling you, tell somebody. So this is where it goes from being on the inside of you and now it's moving to the outside. And this is where it's getting dangerous. It's inside, it's going outside. This is when you make that post on social media. <laughs> you're starting to tell it. You tell a friend. You tell the person you're angry with, you're agitated. You poke them with the stick. You set off triggers. And um, so, of course, we're all talking about our conflict. And this was my last week. But um, Steph, working with a ministry partner, she has a lot of uh, fire to her. A lot of, I like it most of the time. And a lot of strength, and she brings a lot to the table. But I don't know what happened, but uh, this was last Thursday. But she got angry with me. And when she got angry and she just <clears throat> said it, it triggered my anger. It was terrible. Amen. So anyway, my <laughs> anger, it burst out of my mouth. Yeah. So I was angry at her anger at me. So it just burst out um, me being angry at her anger. And I was like, I couldn't get it to shut down. I'm like, okay, so she's angry at me. Well, that's normal. <laughs> but usually I don't get angry at her anger. I think she's funny. I think her anger is funny. I laugh. I think she's hilariously funny. But if she's really angry with me, now that's different. Like I'm like, oh, she's really angry at me. She's, she's thought on this one. She's not doing her thought. And so what I realized I said to her that just came flying out was um, something that the devil had been saying to me for a week. And it was a question he had put in my head, just one subtle question. And the oddity is, this came from years back. Years back. And that's why I wrote this lesson. Because I wrote this down, the one unanswered thought. I had one unanswered thought. I'm that person that gets them under my feet quick. I don't battle them. I love to uh, repent. Usually when things happen, I take it on myself, but not this time. I had not answered this one. And the devil had so carefully placed it in my head a week before, and I had been pushing, pushing, not liking it, thinking I'll wake up better, all that, but I'd never answered it. I'd never answered that thought. And so it would have never come out of me, except that sometimes you're having an extra amount of um, hootsball, you know. And then you also have the fact that there's anger and it's that kind of perfect storm. And then boom, I'm there. I can't go anywhere. I'm there. It wasn't that pretty little go to them, humble yourself, your heart and your hand. No, it was terrible. No, it wasn't. And I thought, what caused that? And I was going to tell you what caused it is one unanswered question that the enemy had put in my head. And so the enemy has a game plan. 
And he is working constantly, if you do ministry together, to try to make you mad at each other, to build that wall, to divide you, and to wreck all the deliverances you have scheduled that week. <laughs> Let's be practical. They call. Why can y'all not do it? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I blew up. <laughs> I've blown up so bad that we need three days to get over each other. <laughs> Yeah, you ruin all your emotions. They're just like trampled. Everyone has thoughts they haven't answered and they don't even know it. I didn't even know it. I didn't know that I had not taken care of that one way back. And the enemy comes and he's subtle. And at first he just, he asks you a question. And it scared the living daylights out of me to realize that what was coming out of my mouth was what I had not been able to answer. It was the same thing that had been asked me. And now I'm demanding. I want to know. Give me an answer for this. So what happens here is that voice is telling you, and it gives you a list, and they grow more wicked. Jesus gives you a wicked list in Matthew 15, 19. He says, out of the heart comes your wicked thoughts. And so unanswered thoughts are still in your heart, and they're wicked. And so what happens is you go ahead and say what the devil is saying to you. And you're at this point either confessing it or exposing it. And to do it right, you got to be lovers of truth. you got to be willing to be vulnerable. I mean, haven't you heard the thing of saying, you know what vulnerable is? It's when you give somebody a map and you give them directions to where your heart is and hand them a knife. <laughs> That's what it's called being vulnerable with someone. And you're thinking at any point when they lose it, they can use this back with you. People think you're crazy or they agree with you at this point, And they say you are. Mm -hmm. And we let it come out of our mouth. And what comes out of our mouth is what the voice says to us. It can be anger, unforgiveness, I was like, you know what triggered me? The anger voice she used sounded like the voice that was in my head. It sounded just the same to me. Because I was like, why did that hit a trigger? Like, I'm the one that stays together. Like, I find her anger is it's just really amusing in that I've also watched the power of God come on her in the last few years, and I trust her anger. Her anger is very discerning. It's very much able to help me find when something isn't right. I appreciate it. Like, you can't get this in most people. Most people you get is passive. I'm like, I like the fact that she brings her whole self to the fight. I like that genuineness. I like that earnestness. What happened? It was me, an unanswered thought. And it messes with you. And we want help with it. And in some ways, maybe I was screaming for help. Help me. Help me with this thought. Help me. It's trying to make me crazy. It's trying to make me quit believing that God's promises are true. It's trying to make me not believe there's a miracle. I told her it reminded me of an incident when I was with a pastor and he was accusing me of, well, he wasn't accusing me. He was accusing someone else of, of doing something on the books. And I'm like, how could we have cooked the books if we told you it was making zero? If a business is making zero, you didn't cook the books. 
I'm like, help me understand. And I thought, maybe the miracle didn't happen. Maybe God didn't do what I thought he did all those years. And that's what the enemy was doing to me. Maybe it's not a miracle. Maybe it's the enemy. Maybe the devil has set you up to trap you, to wreck you, to run you, to literally bring this point to you, to break you in ministry, to make the hurt so bad you'll never face it again. How about if it's that? Sometimes that voice is screaming and you want someone. Tell me that isn't so. And it starts moving around. And it says in James right here that at this point with the voice, it starts strengthening. And at this point, the mouth has the ability to change your destiny. In James 3, 5 through 9, if you make a small shift, it changes your destiny. You know, like if you're taking a gun and you just turn it just slightly, it either hits or misses. Uh, a tragic thing happened in uh, San Sabo, someone cleaning their gun. If it had just been turned just a quarter of an inch, the people flying to the moon, if they said they had to do course correction every 10 minutes. Did you know that your tongue is that? That you're messing with your future, you're messing with your destiny. It says that literally in James 3, 5 through 9, that you're setting the course of your life at the moment your tongue starts firing. Good or bad? Life or death? It says the tongue is a fire, the world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, and it sets the whole course of one's life on fire, which is set on fire by hell itself. That little wet thing in our mouth. <laughs> For with our tongue we praise the Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in the likeness of God. And in one split second, the thought goes from inside to outside. And we follow it, and we start following that stranger's voice. It's why people who get angry at the messenger sometimes... I started realizing, oh, that's why people get mad at me sometimes. They're hearing a voice. That voice is accusing me all the time. It's, it's like some of y'all have come to me and said, you know, I don't know why. I just woke up this morning angry with you. I'm just angry. And I go, it's okay. It happens. It's like, but it's that voice. It starts. And it just starts, and you're like, I don't know why I don't like them. And I'm being funny. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm being fun. But no, it just starts that anger. It's that voice. And that thought aims at them. And so it starts as a, a whisper, and it turns into a question. But then it grabs power, and it becomes bolder and bolder, and then it blames and it accuses, and you end up somewhere you don't want to go. And that's what the slanderer does, that he divides intimate relationships. And someone picks it up. And so when you're made to work with somebody or you've got something really important you've got to handle or somebody's destiny depends on it and you've fallen in a million parts. So sometimes it goes really south here that you make contact with someone else that has that same unanswered thought. It links. You get offended. Two offended people will always find each other. If we leave people alone, the two offended people will end up talking and they'll double their offense power. Another thing I've seen link is a victim. If someone has come to me and they've never gotten the victim thing off of them, the person that's a victimizer will find them. Always. Like, I've seen it in crowds. When I was little, I used to watch that happen. I'm like, it finds each other. 
It makes contact. And then it does the next thing that these thoughts do, unmanaged. They become cluster thoughts. And you get more than one, and you get supportive thoughts. And then the devil sends more, and then you have those movies in your mind, and they run without you wanting to. The way it does for me are like the strobe lights, <laughs> where it literally it's flashing, and the thoughts are no longer one thought. It is repetitive, flashing, flashing, flashing the thoughts. And this is when it gets so bold, and this is where it becomes clinical. Because at this point, literally, you are hearing more than one voice. You're hearing nothing else. And it is obsessed with getting you, owning you, possessing you, and destroying you. So, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given you the gift of fear. And this is when fear enters. A spirit of fear enters. 2 Timothy 1.7 The devil, at this point, wants to give you fear. And what you get is the devil starts, he hits you with the thought, you go crazy for three days, and then the devil hits me with the thought, and with the strobe lights and the movies and all that, I'll tell you what becomes in question, your future. And the devil has grabbed the paintbrush of your life, and he starts painting your future for you. And you're concerned about your future, but God right now is concerned about your purpose, <laughs> your destiny, your legacy. Will you fulfill what he put you on the earth to do? You're concerned because the devil has grabbed your future. And at this point, it's imperative you have to win. So this last part, I'm calling it my summary. It'll take me a few minutes because I'm going to tell you the answer. Because that's what we talked on last night. The God, I mean last week, has not given us a spirit of fear. But this is where it grabs you. It owns you. It's the destinies in the wrong hands. And it all started with something that started inside, subtle, whisper, question. And it's moved to where literally it has wrecked the outside. And you've wrecked your relationships. You've wrecked your own confidence in yourself. Even Peter, he was like, how can I trust myself? Like I denied the one I loved. Like I'm broken. Like you can literally become broken in ministry because you fail your own convictions. It's horrible when you fail yourself. You fail what you love the most. So at this point, I had to walk out of it. And I've learned something. Whatever I last taught on <laughs> is what I need to do that week. It will attack me. Robbie and I had this conversation at, at uh, Sunday because we were talking about the fact that, man, you can do a journal and you can see, oh, uh, this was the lesson, and this happened to me that week. <laughs> this was the lesson that I said, Robbie, it does it to me too. <laughs> and so the first thing I did to myself was, what was last week's lesson? I was like, oh, mm, 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 this is called hypocrisy. Mm, you know, and you're just, I failed. Mm. <laughs> and so you're going to say that 2 Timothy 1.7 last week was very prophetic timing, that I'm not just trying to give you information. I'm on time telling you this is what your next week's going to look like. Get this under your feet. And then you have to move from hearing the word, uh, remembering the word. I can't remember what you taught on last week. Well, take notes. <laughs> if you really want to own it, 
instead of owning your thoughts, listen to it four or five times. If I have something I want to own, I listen to it till I can almost say the sentences with them. You have to do the word. And I said, oh, I thought I had done pretty good the week before because I had answered two out of the three of the questions the devil had done to me. I'd found a verse. The first one was, I have power, love, and a sound mind. Foundationally, I have a sound mind. And now this week is practical application of that verse. My daughter called me today, Julia. What's your Bible study about? I tell her. It's a great thing, the voice in your head. Why did you pick that topic? I write back, why are you asking? <laughs> Joe Lenny goes, I'd enjoy the story more if you would, when you go through hard things, that if they're equivalent to mine, that I know that you're really living them too. <laughs> Knife and twist. <laughs> you know, I want details. Go ahead and tell me. Tell me more. I, w- I want to know what those are. Are you talking about a speeding ticket? Are you talking about your child going through rebellion? Yes, Jolene, that's what it is. Are you talking about, and she names me a set to pick from. She said, well, I just want to know if there's an overcoming testimony in the same area the enemy's attacking me. I thought, let me just tell you this. When you're going through that thing that's happening on the earth today, you know, that spirit that's just falling on everybody, it's so personal you can't talk about it. Like, if you have someone write a book on witchcraft, they will never tell you what really happened. They'll say, uh, they make it very general. She goes, this sounds so general. Why? Because it's too personal. I told you the difference. I'm telling you, those close to me know where my mosquito bites are. But only your real personal and close friends know where your chiggers are. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm saying the devil gets into the chigger business. And it's so personal that we dare not speak of it. So she put pressure on me. What's going on? I go, I don't want to talk. So I tell her. She goes, oh, don't tell that. (laughs) I wouldn't tell that. I said, oh, no, let me tell you a little more. This is just, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't tell that. I wouldn't tell that. I said, well, you've told me something you don't want told. And I said, I went to the breakfast table with my mother, and she wanted to know. Lord, help me. I passed temptation. I didn't tell her, but I told you, I haven't got through the Bible study tonight. I said, I may tell that story tonight. She'll send me the audio immediately. (laughs) So whatever the areas that you get hit in, it works the same way. You got to bring that attack down. Lord, give me the grace not to tell Jolena's story right now. It was a good one. <laughs> she wanted me to tell mine. <laughs> it's just good. You know, carnal, curious minds want answers. <laughs> but God's given us a clear answer. She ended the call with, uh, we need trust between us. I want to hear the audio. You know, because preacher's kids, they always find themselves worked into the lesson. Like each one of you, eventually you get worked into the You're weaved into the lesson. But carnal, curious minds won't answer. But God has given us a clear answer. And this is what he gave me. It can be the biggest attack of witchcraft. It can be where you are in principality warfare. But it falls the same way as it did with Jesus. Jesus was contending with the devil himself. 
in Matthew and Luke, at the very beginning of the Gospels, Jesus was contending with the devil himself. The devil is the leader of all witchcraft, the ruler of all principalities. And this is what Jesus did. He simply took the thought the devil gave him and answered it with the scripture. And I decided, you know, it's just that simple. I just take the thought the devil gave me and I answer it with the scripture. That will defeat the worst witchcraft principalities. Books have been written on this stuff. And Jesus defeated the prince of all darkness with saying, it is written. And then the conniving, sneaky devil that tries to impersonate, he quotes a verse that Jesus, he quotes, he quotes one of the best verses in the entire Bible, let mom tell you. And Jesus goes, but it's further written because he'll try to twist it. So if we're fighting a low-level demon attack of depression or rejection, or if we got a spiritual attack on us that is trying to destroy everything we know and we love, and it's a spirit of witchcraft that's trying to completely take us out of ministry, you must answer the thought. Because the problem that you'll get into is unanswered voices. Everybody I talk to, what I hear are unanswered voices. I'm not talking about a parrot. I'm talking about where I really believe what I'm saying. I believe it, that God has given me power, love, and a sound mind, and I believe the love. Three days to recover. Steph comes back to the house. I said, Steph, get the whiteboard out. I said, look what I wrote in my notebook. I wrote the problem all over the paper. It will help you if you will write it out. I know that doesn't sound spiritual, but this has helped more than anything, writing it on a piece of paper, because then you can point to it and see the other person's perspective. You can see where the catch is. You can see where the trap is. You can see where it's dangerous. When you have an argument, write it out on a whiteboard. One of these erasable whiteboards, write it out on a piece of paper. Write and write and write until you get it settled. And when you do, you will answer it with God's word. Amen.